good to be here today. This is a, a real privilege uh, for me. I've been kind of walking through what I'm going to be sharing with you uh, for the last year. And God's been just been speaking to me and, uh, and, and ministering to me, uh, comforting me during a difficult process, but such an important freeing process that he has for me. Uh, you ever have somebody like come up to you and, and show you a book and say, hey, this book is awesome. You really need to read it. And, they say, and you know, you're afraid they're going to start handing you the book, right? Because then you're going to have to say, okay, I'll read it. You ever, you ever get anybody like that? How many of those books do you have on your shelves? Come on. You know you have them, right? And so I, I had a good friend. He doesn't go to our church. And and he, and he was telling me, hey, Ira, you really need to call this guy Larry. And I said, why do I need to call this guy Larry? And he, and he said, well, Larry works for this ministry uh, that, that put together the transformations videos. Have anybody ever heard of those? The, those are videos. They're, they've, they're internationally circulated videos. You could see them online uh, on YouTube. I think they're there. But of God what God's doing in revivals all across the world. And it's a pretty cool ministry. They've been doing it for quite some time now. And, and he said, you should call Larry. And, and I thought, well, I don't know. I, I'm really excited about those videos, but I don't know what Larry has to say to me. And, and you know, he, he probably came to me about four times, called me up and left a message. Hey, Ira, have you talked to Larry yet? And I just said, I'm not going to call this guy back because I just don't want to tell him I don't want to talk to Larry. <laughs> and finally, finally, I heard God say after probably like three months of, of this guy calling me saying, you should call Larry. And, and Jesus said, you should call Larry. And I thought, Okay, yeah. When Jesus says it, it's a whole nother story, right? You want to read his book when he tells you to read the book, right? You guys read the book? Okay. So anyway, I, I call up Larry. And Larry, I, I called him almost about a year ago. And it was during the, the great fire that was in paradise called the campfire, and the entire town burned down. You know that. And that's where he lived. That's where his part of the ministry was located. Uh, where he coordinated quite a few things. And, and so it took us several weeks to actually get a hold of each other because the phone lines were burnt down. It was a disaster there. Finally, we got a hold of each other. Finally, we got a line that worked and wouldn't die. And I said, Larry, I don't know why, but so-and-so asked me to give you a call. So here I am calling you. What do you have to say? And he started talking to me a little about what God's doing around the world. And let me tell you, I mean, you heard what God is doing in the Philippines through Kevin, right? And uh, next week, you're actually going to hear some, some fresh news about what's happening in the Philippines through, through some, some missionaries from our church that are just coming back after, uh, I think, eight months over there. So uh, it's exciting to see what God's doing there. Lives are being changed. But it's happening all over the world in isolated pockets, in cities, South America, it's radical what God's doing in South America. And in some of the, some of the communist countries, uh, some of the Middle Eastern countries, you know that some of the greatest revivals, some of the, some of the most people coming to faith in Christ, it's happening in the Middle East, in, in, in countries uh, uh, that, that totally don't even allow the preaching of the gospel. That's what's happening. God's doing some wonderful things. So he's telling me about this and 
And then he says something that was quite disappointing. He says, yeah, most of these things happen in areas that are completely decimated. Either there's like drought or, or there's, uh, you know, um, uh, real uh, pressure from the government uh, and, and, and people feel like... Uh, captured by the government like in a communist type of situation or or you know maybe there's uh, there's a drought and there's no food or or whatever it is it happens in in desolation where where places are desolated and i said oh well i guess that's not going to happen i was all excited because i thought hey maybe that can happen here and i said well i guess it's not going to happen here because you know in utah every every open space is being built on right now yeah I mean, it's crazy what's going on. Uh, You know, I heard I-15, they have a sign on I-15 going into Lehigh. It says, be cautious of the rebuilding. It's because they just built and now they're rebuilding because there's no room. That's what's happening in the state. And and there's just so much success financially and and, uh, with businesses and all kinds of stuff that's happening here. And I mean, it's just unbelievable when I look at, I remember we drove down to Lehigh to go to, to go to a, I think we went to the outlet mall there. And before we got to the outlet mall, we looked and there was a hotel that wasn't there just two weeks ago. It's like out of the blue, where did that come from? And that's what's happening here. And I, I told the guy, I said, Larry, I don't think it's going to happen here because we, we are just flourishing as a state. And he said, well, let me tell you, there's one other way. It doesn't happen very often. There's one other way that, that we've seen where God moves in powerful ways in a region. And I said, what's that? And he said, when people that have been through and seen a move of God start praying for a fresh move of God. And then I said, oh, I know why I called you. Because that's me. I saw a move of God. I got saved in the last move of God. I mean, God's been doing things all this time, right? I've been a Christian 44 years. God's been doing things. But 44 years ago, when I came to faith in Christ, it was the Jesus movement. And that was the last move of God, a great move of God in the U.S. God did amazing things. How many of you know what the Jesus movement is? It was called the Jesus Freaks at the time. People were, uh, that were part of the Jesus movement were called Jesus Freaks. And it, it says about this movement that it was, that it was in the uh, late 60s and 70s, former hippies, drug addicts, and occult and Eastern religion practitioners. Well, that's me. That's who I was. I was doing marijuana. I was practicing transcendental meditation, a Hindu meditation. I was a hippie. I had long hair down here. It wasn't just Eric. I had to. And that was me. That's what was happening when I came to faith in Christ. And it says that um, becoming born-again Christians is, is what this was all about. And the movement stressed personal conversion to Jesus and outreach to ministries and areas that the normal church would not participate in. Time magazine wrote a gigantic expose about the Jesus movement in 1971. And it said this, if anyone Mark clearly identifies them, the Jesus movement, the Jesus freaks, it is their total belief in an awesome, supernatural Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? 
not just a marvelous man who lived 2,000 years ago. This is in a secular magazine. Their lives revolve around the necessity for an intense personal relationship with Jesus and the belief that such a relationship should condition every human life. They act as if divine intervention guides their every movement and can be counted on to solve every problem. I read this in my research and I was very convicted that that is what was happening at that time. And I believe that we have a sense of it in our day. But I believe that the reason why we've had a year of prayer and a reason why God led us to do this series on contending for the presence of God through prayer was because God wants to do something again. Now, he's done things in my heart for 44 years, but he wants to do something unique. Do you believe that? I believe that. You know, the Bible talks about seasons. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about a time to sow and a time to reap, time to harvest. There are different times. The Jesus movement was a time in history in the United States where radical things happened and lives were changed. I believe, at least for me, that God is doing that again. And I don't believe it's going to stop with me. I believe for the last year as God has been processing this in my life, that he has been affirming it and showing that within this congregation and within individuals in this congregation that God wants to do a fresh work. That's what he wants to do. You know, Christian Rock started, how many of you like Christian Rock? Wasn't there like a From Kings and, I never heard of that group before, but you guys, there was a big concert here, right? Big Christian concert. You know, the Christian music started with a guy named Larry Norman. Anybody know him? Raise your hand if you know Larry Norman. He's that old. (laughs) Larry Norman wrote this song called, uh, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And that's a little about what this sermon is all about, the prayer of preparation, that we would be ready for what God wants to do, that we would be on our toes. You ever play tennis? I got trained playing tennis in, in, in my summer camp experience, and my parents used to send us away for two months. That's what all, all uh, Jewish people on Long Island did with their kids. They sent them away to Connecticut for two months. And, uh, and in that place, we'd, we'd kind of learn things and do things, and the parents would have fun without us. That's what it was all about. <laughs> they had a lot of fun, and we did too sometimes. But I learned to play tennis. From, some, from tennis greats, actually, would come to our camp and, and, and teach us how to play tennis. And the thing that they taught us the most was that you can't be ready unless you're on your toes, You're always, if you're ready, you're on your toes because that way you can move in whatever direction you can. Now, I know I'm not a very athletic person and me just being on my toes, being ready is something that you probably have not seen before. So you can just relax and enjoy that for a minute. (laughs) But we need to be ready. We need to be ready. My personal experience is that I grew up and I, I, I was an anxious person. I was a worried person. My, my anxiety and my worry uh, led me into, into smoking marijuana to, to try and relax. That didn't work. In New York, when I smoked marijuana, I, I actually was paranoid and I ran 20 blocks back to my apartment because I thought the police were following me because they heard that I was smoking marijuana. So that, that's, it didn't work for me. 
And then, then in California, when we moved to California, I, I tried this transcendental meditation, and, and that was like sitting in, in front of uh, a Hindu deity, uh, like an idol, and, and offering sacrifices to that idol, and, and, and taking a, an idol's name, which was the mantra, it was this word that you repeat over and over, and that was supposed to bring me peace. Well, the only thing it did was put me to sleep. That's what happened. So, so it didn't work for me. But then I saw my friends, and my friends, they were coming to faith in Christ on the high school campus. They weren't getting saved. They weren't getting changed because they were at a church, although God was doing amazing things at church. They were getting saved on the high school campus. God was doing miracles, and I saw my friends radically changed, and it made me want to know what that was about because what I saw is what I needed. And so I reached out to them and they told me and they, they told me about Jesus and eventually I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It was an amazing day. Then they brought me to a church. It was called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, one of the, one of the central focused churches of the Jesus movement. And they brought me to church and, and we went an hour early. I said, why are we an hour early? And they said, because... There's 3,000 seats in there. And, and I said, well, there must be one for me. And they said, no, there's about 4,000 people that show up. And most, and 1,000 of them have to listen from the outside. There's no room. So we had to get there an hour early so that we could attend church. And we were there and we were an hour early. And, and I listened to the music that they were playing and, and, and seeing people raise their hands and, and just giving their hearts to Jesus in, in a personal relationship. It was not just an emotional thing. It was a reality that was a spiritual, physical, emotional convergence of life that, that I had never seen before. Growing up Jewish, I knew the Jewish prayers. They were very beautiful prayers, but they didn't have that life to it. And now I was seeing all my teenage friends, 3,000 of them. I didn't have that many friends, but I did after that day. And, and, and they were worshiping the Lord. And then Greg Laurie, who was the, he's, a, he's a, an evangelist who's still active today. He, he invited people to come to faith in Christ and invited them to come down, like I'm going to invite you to come down at the end of this sermon. He invited people to come down and, and, and give their hearts to God. And every week, for every week that I went, which was several months, there were 300 to 400, 10% of the people in that building would say, I want what you have. And they would come forward and give their hearts to Christ. That's what was happening. Then almost immediately, I moved up to Northern California. And in Northern California, the expression was looking a little different. I went to this Catholic prayer meeting. This Jewish guy at a Catholic prayer meeting. Very interesting. And I went to this Catholic prayer meeting and, you know, I was invited to it and it was on a Friday night, which was an unusual night. It's not a normal service. And it was in a gym. It was in a, a, a Catholic school gym, a high school gym. And we crammed 2,000 people into that gym and they worshiped the Lord like I'd never seen anyone worshiping the Lord. People all over were getting touched with the love and the grace of God in a way that I had never seen before. 
I believe that God has seasons and that that was a season. And we've seen little pockets of it here and there throughout the last decades. But my thought is, is that at least for me, and I'm not prophesying what God's going to do. We're going to let that up to him, all right? Don't you think that's a good idea? But I know for me, he is reviving me. And I am blown away by the love of God. I'm blown away by it. Do you ever have a scripture that is so powerful that you, you say you can't forget it like, it, like it's the life-altering scripture? I have a friend who has a scripture tattooed on her arm. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's really perfect for her because she needs strength every day to be able to walk through her life. You ever have a scripture like that? I've had several scriptures like that. I'm 44 years a Christian. I've had several scriptures, and I never thought I'd have another one because I've read the Bible so many times. I'm not saying that just to impress you. I'm just saying that to impress you in the fact that I'm surprised that God would give me another scripture that would change my life as much as this scripture has that I'm going to share with you today. And so I have it. Poster it on my wall. If you went in my office here at the church, you'd see that it's behind my desk so that when I walk to my desk, before I sit down, I see the scripture. And then as I walk out the door, it's right on the side of the door by the sign that says, don't forget to shut off your heater. <laughs> it, says, it, it says the scripture too. God sometimes takes scriptures and make them what I call life scriptures. That's what I want to share with you today is is this last life scripture that God gave to me almost a year ago that he's been blowing my mind with for here. And I believe that today is the day that I share it with all of you. So it's a great privilege to be able to do that. The writer is Hosea, a small book in the Old Testament, prophecy, a minor prophet. And Hosea prophesied around the time of King Hezekiah, around 700 B.C. And Hosea, he had a, a tough life. He, God asked him to marry a prostitute. And he, he did it kind of like a three-dimensional picture for Israel to show Israel as a prophet that Israel was prostituting itself by not placing God first, but having idols. What a crazy thing to do, huh? God asks you to marry a prostitute. It's an interesting book to read. In Hosea 10, 12, God gave me this scripture. And it stood out like something that I will never be the same because of. Hosea 10, 12. Sow righteousness for yourselves because Israel was in bad shape. Israel was struggling. It is so easy to fall into the allure of this world and hunger after things that do not satisfy. And that's where Israel was. 
So God said through Hosea, sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. How important that is to know that the love that God has for us is an unfailing love. Your new car, you could love for an hour until you get that first ding, and then you don't love it anymore. The things of this world fade away in the light of the glory and grace and love of the Lord God Almighty. You guys getting this? Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Today, I don't want to focus on the how of prayer. We've, we've done that. It is very important. But I want to focus a little on the why of prayer, the why of prayer. What is God's heart for us? He wants to shower his righteousness on us. He adores us. He wants to blow our minds every single day. That's what this is all about. Prayer is not the answer. The answer is, according to this uh, sermon series, Contending for, for the presence of God through prayer. It's the presence of God. The presence of God. Oh, that I hunger for the presence of God. More and more. And we see the presence. But again, does he have something special for us in this season? I know he does for me. He's spoken to me for a year about this. And maybe he does for you too. The last powerful season of his coming was the Jesus movement, were the Jesus freaks. These are the least of these, the people that would never be accepted into church. A matter of fact, Calvary Chapel, which was the church that I, the first church that I went to, was kind of the epicenter of this. And you know how that church started? That church started because it was a teeny little church, and God started doing something. And the elders of that church said, hey, there's people coming to this church that they're, they're not wearing shoes. And, and, and they're wearing holes in their jeans. And, and they're kind of smelly. And they have bad breath. And the elders said, the people that were there said, hey, I don't know about this. And the pastor, Pastor Chuck, said, no, they are the ones that must come. And that's how it started. That's how this church started. Now there's, it's not just one church. Uh, this is not a, a sale for Calvary Chapel. I love Calvary Chapel. But Calvary Chapel is now almost 2,000 churches strong because of what God has done through the Jesus movement, through the Jesus freaks, through that movement. And we are all part of it. If you think that that you're here today and you would have been here today without the Jesus movement, you're sorely mistaken. The reason why I'm here is because of the Jesus movement. The reason why Jody is here is because of the Jesus movement that touched the life of the pastor, that touched the life of the pastor, that pastored her. 
That church is called Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California. God did the same thing there. It's a four-square church. Pastor Jack Hayford, God did a miracle in him. And that miracle spread during that season. And it, it touched Daniel Brown, who touched uh, uh, Stuart Nice and, and Brent Harris and, and Jody Van Ree and Eric Van Ree and Ira Popper and many others. We are all here pretty much because of what God did in the last move. And I didn't say this in the last service, but I sense the Lord saying it now. You must know that you are a part of help leading that next move. It is, people are going to look back and they're going to say, I came to faith in Christ because, fill in your name. That's what God's doing. That's what he wants to do. Are you ready? Are you prepared for that? Break up the unplowed ground. What is unplowed ground? Well, honestly, I was a little offended by God that after 44 years of being a Christian, I had any plow, any ground that was not plowed by God. I was. I was a little... It was pride. I was saying, God, what... What do I have? I've, for 44 years I've followed you, don't I? He gave me the scripture. And I realized that, that I had pride and that unplowed ground wasn't just ground that had never been touched by God, but it was also ground that hadn't been touched by God and my faith in him in a long time. And I realized I have many areas in my life that are like that. Many areas in my life that, that the faith of God has not touched in a while. Unplowed ground is our hearts. Unplowed ground is not being touched by the Spirit of God where weeds have grown. It's like a garden that hadn't been plowed. I hate it in spring when I try to start my garden because it hadn't been plowed and so it has all these weeds. So you have to start it like when the, when the ground is still frozen a little in order to keep those weeds out. It's dried up for lack of cultivation. This was John's whole purpose. John the Baptist came to break up the unplowed ground that was in the hearts of the people of the time to prepare for Jesus. This is exactly what we're talking about. Jesus is coming and John the Baptist prepared the way by breaking up the unplowed ground in times of repentance. And those that were prepared, those hearts that were prepared through repentance, through the Holy Spirit breaking up that ground were the ones that received the message of Christ. In, in Mark, in, in chapter 4, it, there's this parable about the seeds being scattered everywhere. And there's different ground that the seeds are on. The seeds are all the same. It's the word of God, right? There's nothing different about the seeds. They're the same. But the ground is different. There's ground that's rocky. There's ground that's thorny. Ground that's hard and has been uncultivated, hasn't been, been broken. And then there's ground that's ready. I want to be the ground. I want my heart to be the ground that's ready for what God wants to do because I believe he wants to do it.
Yes? He wants to do it. Breaking up the unplowed ground is not unusual. The prophets of old would break up ground. Jeremiah talked about this too. About the ground that would be broken up so that that people would have tender hearts for what God wants to do. Both Josiah and Jeremiah talked about breaking up ground that that was hard because the people were hard. Their hearts were hard because they fell in love with things that were not Jesus and were not eternal. We live in a world that has so much that seems like it has to offer, and yet these things are just temporary. But it is very easy to grab hold of something. I remember the first time Eric our, our senior pastor who, who passed had got an iPhone, and I said, that's stupid. What, is, what am I going to do with that? And now, what am I going to do without that? <laughs> I mean, now we're addicted to this thing, right? And that's the way things happen in, in our lives, in our culture. We, we, we st- we grab hold of things, and we don't even realize we're doing it. And they become a stronger pull than God himself. When there's only one thing that's eternal, only one thing that, that will change our lives forever and will stay forever and will have permanent results, and that's our relationship with God himself. You know, it's very easy to get numb when you have other things that you're excited about outside of Christ. We live in a culture that is thriving and it is very easy to be numb. I have neuropathy in my foot because I have sciatica and it goes down and it kind of, neuropathy is when it's numb, your foot's numb. And you could have neuropathy for many other reasons. One of them is because you have diabetes. And, and so your foot becomes numb. You don't even know that someone's touching your foot. I had a good friend who passed away because there was an infection in his foot that he didn't even know about because his foot was so numb. And then by the time he got to the hospital, it went septic, which is what Corinne was talking about, and it killed him an hour later. He didn't even know he had it. I think we live in a world like that sometimes. We have neuropathy of the spirit. Breaking the unplowed ground is not neat. It says in Jeremiah 23, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces? The word of God is like a hammer. Let it break your heart to pieces that you could be ready for what God wants to do because he wants to come in a new way. Let him break your heart to pieces. It is not neat. It is not comfortable. It is not safe in our traditional sense of being safe, like, okay, I know what church is going to be like. I know what my walk with the Lord is. No, God is very unsafe in this way. He's safe in the most wonderful way, the eternal way, but he's unsafe when it comes to the things we hold on to in this world. It is not neat. It is not comfortable to allow God to break up the unplowed parts of your heart. 
This is what it's like. I don't know. I can't put this vest on this time. It's all wound up. I was excited about this. Let God break up your unplowed ground. Come on. It's not neat. It's, it's not safe in the traditional sense. But it will change your life forever. Let him do what he wants to do by the word of God. Let him do it. Let him do it. Amen? Let him do it. I knew that would break. <laughs> this one's not going to break. Hey, Dave, this is from your curbing outside. Dave, Dave curbed our outside, and it's not breaking. It's very good concrete. Oh, I got it. <laughs> All right. Let God do what he wants to do. Let him do it. You guys could try this after. Kids don't try this at home. God wants to do this work. It's not just for the few. God wants to sift us as wheat. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. He wants to sift us all. He wants to break this intensity that's inside of us, this, this um, numbness that's inside of us. Are you guys sensing this? Or is it just me? Am I crazy? Are you sensing this? Are you open to God breaking up your unplowed ground? It changes us forever. It changes us forever. The unplowed ground represents the things that keep us from God. Tim Keller in a podcast, he's a wonderful pastor back east. He said, psychologists say, if you understand your greatest fear, you understand what your heart is most after in life. What your heart is looking most too for its significance, security, and identity. Are you thinking about what your greatest fear is right now? The loss of which would make things meaningless. By understanding your greatest fear, you will understand your greatest love. The Bible says the fear of the God is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of wisdom. And I must say, when I heard this, and this was all a part of what God has done over the last year, when I heard this, I was deeply, deeply convicted. Because I had fears, I had fears that were greater than losing God. How about you? I had, a, I had fears about significance. I'm turning 60 this year. One of the things I grew up with was, was thinking that there's no existence outside of uh, here on earth during these years. And so I said to myself as a child, I, I don't know why, I guess it's just who I am. I said, you know, I need to find some meaning in life. If I don't do something significant, what is life about? And that thing rose, raised its, its ugly head this, this year when I went through this process of breaking into thinking that 
This was an area of fear. Like if I don't have some significance, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. Instead of losing God. Losing God is the worst thing that can happen to me. But I had to have God break up the unplowed parts of my heart to get to that again. How about you? What, what is your greatest fear? Because it is your greatest love as well. For it is time to seek the Lord. That was point one. I have three points and we should be ending now. So these are going to go pretty quick. As a matter of fact, we could have the worship team come on up. It is time to seek the Lord. Seeking the Lord is the active ingredient, the active ingredient in breaking up the unplowed ground. You ever bake a cake and forget to put the baking powder in? It just doesn't work. You have matzah at the end of it. You know, matzah, that's flatbread that Jewish people use for services. That's what you have. It's completely useless. You need an active ingredient. And that active ingredient is seeking the Lord. Break up the unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. Until he comes. What are the idols that need to be broken up in your heart, in your life? Do you have the courage? And I'm telling you, it took a lot of courage on my part over this year to admit to myself personally and to God that I had areas that were idolatrous to him, that, that I loved more than him. But now he's bringing me to this point where I want him to come more than anything else. I want him to come into my life, into our lives, into this state. We have a country that's in desperate shape. I want him to come. I want Time Magazine, although I don't think they exist anymore, to write an article, to get revived and write an article about what God wants to do today. I want that to happen. And if we want to do that, we need to wait. We need to wait on God. We need to be in his time frame. You know, Jesus told the uh, disciples, stay in Jerusalem and wait for what I'm going to do. And they had no idea what God was going to do. They had no idea what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit at that level and to experience the power and the presence of God. And I think he's saying that same thing to us today. I think he's saying, go into the upper room and wait. Could you stand with me? We're going to wait upon the Lord. In a second, I'm going to ask you to come forward. If, if this is your desire, if you want God to come in a new way in your life, I'm going to invite you up in a minute. But the disciples, they had no idea what that looked like. And believe me, in my numbness last year, I had no idea what this day would look like in that, that I would be pleading to, to God and to you that we would come to him and we cry out, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. The last part of the scripture is, Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. Notice that it, it doesn't say if he comes. It's until he comes. That means he's coming. 
He's either coming for me and for you as individuals. He could be coming to us as a church. He could be coming to us as a state, as a nation, as the globe. God can do a great work and desires to do it. At the very least, I know that's happening in me. And I believe that I'm not here for any other reason than to say, I believe he wants to do this in your lives too. This is what it says in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house have many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is God's desire. It is all rooted in his love. It takes the breaking up of the unplowed ground to bring us to this place in our lives.